Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray through uh, the written word and the spoken word. Lord, may we know your living word in our lives today. Amen. Um, for those who don't know me, um, my name is Matt, um, and I want to start this morning actually by showing you uh, a chart. If I can have the chart, Pete. Yes, there's a chart. Um, What's it, what is it a chart of? What do you think? What could it be? What could that chart be showing? New York skyline. New York skyline. Could be New York skyline. Anything else? No? No ideas? Pete, next one. So we've got January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, all the way to the December. So we've got the months on the bottom. Rain. Rain. Rainfall. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure, actually. January's pretty dry, isn't it? Um, should we have the, the next one? I don't know if you can see that. It might be a bit too small. We've got spring break up here. Then we've got a little peak for April Fool's Day. And then we've got summer holidays in the middle as well. Any idea? Sick leave. Interesting. April Fool's Day, sick leave. Maybe another one? Last one? This is the last one. I'll explain. Valentine's Day quite important. Um, Mondays, big deal. Mondays, quite, quite uh, spiky. Uh, moving through two weeks before winter holidays, and then Christmas. Last guesses, any idea? Food? Mood? Yeah, like inverse, happy at Christmas. I, I, yeah. Um, 
I'll put you out here in misery. This is a chart which comes from Facebook, which shows the peak breakup times throughout the year according to status updates. So April Fool's Day is quite a big spike. People breaking up on Facebook, not really breaking up. Two weeks before Christmas, quite a big deal. People don't want to be in relationships at Christmas time. The least likely day to, to break up on Facebook is Christmas Day. It is just too cruel to break up with someone on Christmas Day. Um, Valentine's Day, not so much an issue. It's five or six times bigger than Christmas Day. People happily break up on Valentine's Day through restaurants not booked, or whatever else it might be. Um, and Mondays is a big day as well. Yeah. Mondays, start of the week, people update their status. Um, I quite enjoy looking at charts, look at charts a bit for work. Um, I quite like understanding how the trends and patterns, uh, correlations within the charts. And I like how charts aren't always obvious, and they can surprise us. Um, but once they're labeled, once they are explained, they seem to make a lot of sense. They seem to correlate with our understanding of the world. So when I was asked to, to preach um, today on a passage of my choice, on a passage that has had a transformative impact on my life, um, I'm not going to lie, I struggled a bit finding a passage for that. I'd love to say that a single passage that I read correlated perfectly to my coming to faith or led to something or other happening in my life. But for me, that's just not how my faith has developed. If I charted my journey, it would look quite peaky like this. Um, my journey to faith is probably driven more by relationships and meetings with different people than by a, a core piece of scripture um, that transformed. So what passage to choose? Well, before we get to the passage, um, it's probably actually a good opportunity for me to share a bit about how my faith has developed, a bit of testimony. Um, so, yeah, let's do that. Um, back in um, my school days, which was 2004, it's not that long ago, still young, um, I, was, I was playing in a, a not super competitive football match, um, but serious enough to know that I wanted to win. Um, in fact, any of the men that were at the quiz evening will know that I hate losing. So, let's start again, actually. Back in my school days, in 2004, I was playing in the biggest football game of my life. Um, I can't remember the score, but I can remember that at one point there was a ball in the open, and I slid in to get that ball. Um, and one of my opponents also ran in to belt the ball upfield. Now, he missed, uh, he cracked his foot into my leg. Um, and moments later, I was lying on the ground in shock with half my leg pointing in an, uh, an opposite direction. Um, and my immediate reaction was, ah, I've got a hockey game after this. Um, my next reaction was, oh, yeah, that hurt. And I'll save the, the gory details, but what transpired was quite a, quite a serious break, um, a rush to theatre, um, nearly had to have my leg removed. Um, and I had about a week or a bit in hospital, um, with quite a few operations and transfusions, all from playing football. Um, where does our Bible passage come into that? Well, towards the end of my stint uh, in hospital, we were coming up to the, the final operation, which was to, to close um, some wounds. And my leg was still pretty swollen. Um, and the views of the surgeon was that it was likely, I'll assess it again the next morning, but it was likely that I was going to have to have some skin grafts taken from my bottom. Um, 
which is good to say in church. Um, so not only would my recovery be long anyway, trying to learn to walk on my now sort of metal-enhanced Terminator leg, um, I also wouldn't be able to sit down. Great. So what do I do? I pray. I pray like crazy, uh, like most of the evening before the morphine kicked in. Um, I understand my granny activated, mobilized the St. Swithin's prayer chain. Um, and surprise, surprise, the next morning, um, the swelling in my leg had receded enough that I didn't need skin grafts. Um, just 150 staples would do the trick, which is like a couple of packs. Um, that week was quite a turning point in my journey to faith. It was seeing God's power answering prayer in my life. I had the belief that if I asked, if I prayed hard enough, he would reply. But this is important. There's still no transformative passage I can talk about this morning. So, what passage? Well, a year or so later, uh, I was at university and I was walking to um, a Christian Union organized bowling evening in Freshers' Week, one of the less crazy affairs, um, and a, a pigeon flew over and pooed on my head. Literally, direct hit. Um, use your imagination, I had thick, flowing hair at that point. It's, it, was, it was a massive inconvenience. Now it might just be a doddle, wipe it off. Um, it was a real pain. Um, fortunately, uh, a, a lovely, very pretty nursing student called Kirsty uh, had, a, had a handy pack of wet wipes with her, and as she wipes the poo from my head, I mean, the rest is history. Um, <laughs> and importantly, actually, one of the things that we bonded over with her being a nursing student was, was my leg, and God works in mysterious ways. So a few months later, we started going out, and five years later, we married. And on our wedding day, we had the passage from Philippians that we heard just now. We had an abridged version, but the whole thing's better. So this morning, I wanted to spend some time exploring this passage, the context, the meaning, its application to our lives today. And if you'd like to have your Bibles open, uh, it's on 1179. So, Philippians. Philippians was one of Paul's four prison epistles, and it is thought that Philippians was written last, near the end of his, his Roman imprisonment in AD 61-62. And the first three epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, were all quite near to each other in terms of location. Um, and because of that, the letters were delivered by a, na- uh, a man named Chikias. I'm going to get all the pronunciations wrong this morning, so I'm going to go Chikias, Chikikas, that guy, T-Y-C-H-I-C-U-S. Um, the letter to the Philippians was delivered by uh, a guy called Epaphroditus um, who had come to see Paul in Rome with financial help from the church in Philippi. Now, we've heard on, on many Sundays readings from Paul's other letters and most times he wrote in response to hearing a crisis of some kind, to hearing that something in that particular church wasn't quite right. People were preaching the wrong messages, certain teachings were not being followed, but not here. Philippians is not that type of letter. It isn't a letter of crisis, it's a letter of appreciation and support, a letter of joy and love for the followers in Philippi. They were a set of believers who offered material support for Paul's ministry. If you want to skip ahead to chapter four, 15 to 18, grab it, it reads, 
18 reads like this. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The Philippian church supported Paul like no other church did. It was as true in those days as it is today. Talking to people about Jesus is free. You can talk to anyone you like about Jesus. It won't cost you anything. But getting to where those people are and staying where they are, that can cost money. And Paul, in this whole letter, shows a great outpouring of joy for the Philippians because of this. And it all sounds quite cozy, doesn't it? Thanks for the cash. I love you guys. But there is actually some teaching dished up in this letter as well. So let's get to that. The broad theme of Philippians is a, a centering on Christ, that in living our lives around Christ, we can experience true joy, and that Christ's joy comes in four threads, each one covered in a different chapter in Philippians. So chapter one, chapter one is all about the joy in living for Christ, in spite of circumstances and this conflict surrounds us, the joy in living for Christ. Chapter two, can be summed up as there's a joy in serving Christ in unity. Chapter three is about a joy from knowing Christ, and chapter four focuses on a joy in resting in Christ. So Paul writes about a joy in living for Christ, a joy in serving Christ in unity, a joy from knowing Christ, and a joy from resting in him. And our reading today comes from chapter two, a chapter focused on serving Christ in unity. Now, the first question that comes to my mind is, well, this church in Philippi sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds, you know, they're supporting Paul financially. Why is Paul talking about unity? Now, if I asked you all to name the, the department or the team that you work with, which you describe as the most challenging, uh, what would it be? Um, you don't have to shout it out, keep it to yourself. You might be sat next to your boss. Um, I know where I'd place my flag, firmly in IT um, or HR, one of those two. Um, every organization has its challenges. Um, we're all human. Our objectives don't always marry up. And the church is another organization which also has its challenges. And Paul is so thrilled with the church in Philippi, so warm to them as a congregation, but he does want to emphasize one thing, that unity is critical disunity can spread. People start taking sides in different positions, and Paul wants to nip it in the bud. So he's pretty direct, and actually it's not until chapter four, but he calls it out. He addresses, or he exhorts by name two people, two women, who are called Iodia and, I'll say it wrong again, Sintyche, Sin, yeah, that one, the other one, S-Y-N-T-Y-C-H-E, uh, and he says, he says this, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Sinchiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And he goes on to say, yes, 
And I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. I wonder what these two, these two women were thinking. The first couple of chapters of Paul's uh, letter, he writes about challenges and unity. And I can imagine them every time that unity is mentioned, sort of casual glances looking across to each other. And then bam, like a voice from on high, he goes, I plead with you and I plead with you. Sort it out, both of you. Both of you need to change, as is often the case in many disagreements. And he doesn't just leave it there. He asks the rest of the church to help. You can imagine a lot of the other people in the church going, should we just kick him out? If they're being, being this disruptive that Paul's writing about it, let's just kick him out. But Ezekiel 34, 16 says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. And so to help they shall and it is the responsibility of these fellow members of the church to bring these two challenging women back to Christ. And the solution, as it says in chapter four, is to agree with each other, be of the same mind, but not just any kind of agreement, rather in the Lord, to solve their disagreement, not in their own way, but in and through Christ. Now, I know I've skipped ahead a bit, two chapters, um, it's useful, I think, to see why Paul is so focused on unity and where our passage sits today. There's an unsettling situation, and he asked the two quarreling women and the rest of the church to look to Christ to sort it out. Now, Kirsty and I had Philippians 2 read at our wedding because unity is a really great thing to strive for in a marriage. And the important aspect I want to explore today is this idea of how do we encourage unity? How do we encourage unity in our relationships, at work, amongst our friends, uh, in our church? And this is where Philippians 2 really kicks in. And we're going to look at today, there are three tools in our passage today that to help us encourage unity in our lives. And we'll look at those now. So the first tool, as it says in verse 4, is to look out for others' interests. So in verse four it says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Not your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now I read one commentary which said that the word interest is actually a bit of a filler. The original is actually quite open-ending. All that's specified is your own. So it might well be interest, it might well be success, it might well be career, or family, or health, or reputation. To drive, to encourage unity, don't just desire after your own interests, or focus on your own success, or work towards your own reputation, but do so for other people. This is Matthew 22:39 in action. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now in my own life, when it's 5.15 in the morning, or 3.45, and I'm tired, but all Rupert wants to do is play hide and seek. Verse four, <laughs> not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I don't know about you all, but I can be pretty self-interested um, at times, particularly first thing in the morning when I'd rather be asleep. The challenge, put others' interests ahead of your own, but not just participate. It says in verse three, count others as more significant than myself. Will I take time and encourage and show genuine and self-sacrificing interest put others ahead of myself? A big challenge. So, 
how are we supposed to develop this sort of other person focus? It comes from verse three. We develop it through humility. So the first tool to encourage unity is to look out for each other's interests. The second tool to encourage unity is to humble ourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Why are we humble as Christians? Well, true in my case, for sure. Why should we be humble as Christians? C.S. Lewis wrote um, a brilliant few lines that I'd like to read you that I think sums it up perfectly, as is often the case with C.S. Lewis. And he writes this. Pride. Pride has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Humility comes from a recognition of the immeasurable sacrifice that Christ gave for us, the cruelest of deaths to serve us and to save us. Being humble as a Christian is feeling overwhelmed by God's grace, stunned into lowliness, stunned into the service of others. True humility means surrendering myself for the sake of others. True humility means lowering myself to lift others up. True humility yields any rights for the sake of serving others. And this doesn't mean that we become the slaves of everyone else's whims or desires, though. Jesus was obedient to God, not what others thought he should be doing. But it does mean we live in service to what God wants us to do, the plans that God has for our lives. As Isaac Watts wrote, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So the second tool to encourage unity is to humble ourselves. And thirdly, to encourage unity, live by Christ's example, follow Christ. Jesus is God. And in coming to earth, he set aside many of the privileges of being God to become human. As God in flesh, he humbled himself to the point of excruciating pain in crucifixion. He set aside his own interests for the sake of others. And if that sounds tough to do, there is some encouragement also for us who find this hard. In verses 9 to 11 of the reading today, it shows he was gloriously rewarded for his servanthood until death. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And you know what? It would be true for me and for you as well. In Matthew 23:12, it says, Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So, 
three tools to encourage unity in our relationships, our friends, in our workplace, in our church. Firstly, to look out for others' interests. Look out for others' interests. Secondly, to humble ourselves. And thirdly, to follow Christ's glorious example. Three challenges on a Sunday morning. If you can remember back to the, the chart at the start of my sermon, relationships come and go. Some will flourish and some will fall like pigeon poo from on high. Um, Paul sets out a brilliant framework for striving for unity in our lives, in our relationships and our loves, looking out to others, humbling ourselves, and at all times trying to echo Christ's supreme example of servanthood and love. So let's pray. Lord God, Jesus descended from so great a height. How unreasonable that we who are nothing should be lifted up with pride. Lord, thank you for the supreme example of Jesus. Help our thoughts today to be purer, holier, and more righteous than yesterday. Grow our hearts in love and compassion and humility to the service of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.